0: Hey, Linda and Drew Scott here.
1: Welcome to At Home.
0: Finally, a show where I don't have to wear a tie, a tool belt, or even pants.
1: For all you know, we could be recording this from the toilet.
0: For the past decade on Property Brothers, hundreds of families have invited us on their journey to create their dream homes.
1: And with every family we met, we learned a little more about what really makes a house a home.
0: Now we want to invite you to come along on our journey.
1: To live in a tree house. RV. A farm.
0: Whatever it is, we have a lot to learn.
1: That's where we bring in our lovely guests.
0: They'll share their experiences on everything from building healthy relationships to growing baby carrots. I've always wondered about those.
1: And speaking of babies, we want to be sure that we're playing our part in making the planet better for our future kids.
0: We know that the changes we all want to see in the world start at home.
1: I've always wanted to live in a treehouse.
0: Doesn't everyone? This is At home. Home. Hey, everybody.
1: Happy Tuesday.
0: Welcome to At Home, another great week.
1: Yep, and we are still at home. Yes,
0: (laughs) yes, she's not sick of me. Um, We were doing some baking this morning together, which was exciting. Yeah,
1: holiday baking. It's starting.
0: This morning we made my mom's holiday famous mint mint dessert. dessert. It was absolutely delicious. And by the way, guys, this is special for us today because we are joined by a friend of ours, Eric. Eric Christian Olson is uh, an actor, he's a producer, he's the host of Emma Talks, and he is here to talk with Dr. J. Uh,
2: Dr. J, Uh, no, we have not pivoted to a basketball (laughs) podcast. This is Dr. Joseph Allen, one of the leading scientists that works at Harvard in uh, in the healthy building space. It's gonna be a fascinating conversation. Thank you so
1: much for joining us Eric. Can you tell our listeners a bit about Emma Talks?
2: Yeah, so the the philosophy with the Emma Talks was that uh, essentially we're getting so much information um, uh, from leaders in the country that's directly in opposition or at war with science in general and so what we're doing is partnering up with people like you guys uh, and using our platform to have conversations with the smartest people in the room with the scientists at at, at Harvard uh, T.H. Chan School of Public Health Um, And finding solutions for a path forward for, you know, not only healthier lives, uh, obviously today is going to be about healthy buildings, um, but about giving our kids and God willing their kids uh, an opportunity to live in a planet that's not scorched by our inability to um, live sustainably.
0: Well, we love your passion for the environment and and for people and trying to make sure that we're all leaving this earth better than we found it, especially for, you know, you have three kids and we, ha- we want to have kids. So we want to make sure that our future kids are having a, a beautiful earth to live on. Uh, Dr. Joe is is phenomenal to me because his focus is about home, healthy home. And I think a lot of people, when they're thinking about health at home, they don't actually think about the health of their home itself.
2: Dr. Joseph G. Allen is an assistant professor at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health and the director of Healthy Buildings Program. Mm -hmm. Dr. Joe is the leading voice. He is he is the he's the Brad Pitt of the healthy building space.
1: Mm -hmm. And of course, because we've all been spending so much time at home due to the pandemic, Our conversation also touched on how buildings can play a part in keeping us healthy, especially during this time.
0: And keep in mind, we do encourage that you check out the guidelines and recommendations of the CDC and your local health authorities for up-to-date information as the pandemic continues to unfold. Okay, if ADT wasn't professional enough, now ADT installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT believes the smarter the home, the safer the security.
1: I mean, what are they gonna do next? They're they're gonna start a country singing career.
0: I would listen to a country band named ADT. Also, I like to know what's happening at our front door from virtually anywhere with my Google Nest doorbell. Just saying. Your
1: Google Nest doorbell? I said our He said my everybody check that yeah all right well i like to control my adt smart devices like my lights my locks
0: <laughs> my security system with google nest speakers and displays
1: and i like to say hey google to get started
0: listen i said ours. i'm all about ours, not mine help protect what matters most with all this plus 24 7 professional monitoring from adt and a little help from google
1: visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help make your home smarter and safer. Yeah, like
3: home. I'm excited. Yeah, thanks. for. I, I like all the work you've all been doing, and it's just so critically, more so right now to help get this message out. So
0: well, I really appreciate it. We, we were actually, this is the whole conversation is about your career in German polka, but um, that's not what you <laughs> so want to talk curious. about. so
3: curious. That's what it takes to get the message out yeah.
0: of you. Well, thank you so much, Eric and Dr. Joe. Uh, well, I'm really excited because obviously, you know, we have a, a, a long background in home, but so many people don't talk or don't think about the health of the home. And we're always trying to stress how important that is. So first off, I'd love to dive a little bit more into, as you got into what you do. Yeah.
3: So first, let me say really great to, Join you all, and uh, I'll use that clip for my wife. She's a Brad Pitt fan, so (laughs) Brad Pitt built the buildings that just made my career, made my whole family life. So, thanks for that. Uh, Really great to join you, and I love this program. I love what you've all been doing, and it's a really nice chance for us in public health to partner with people like you to get this message out. So, I'm really, uh, really appreciative. Yeah, so you know how I got into this, I was doing these forensic investigations of sick buildings, and as Eric said, you know, hundreds of these uh, for years. So, I was in consulting before I was a professor at Harvard. Um, And it it grows uh, tiring to say, well, why do we keep having to address these problems after they happen? After people are sick, we're going into these buildings to correct them. We know how to design, operate, maintain buildings to be healthy in the first place. Can't we push this upstream and like flip this paradigm here where we're not just chasing sick buildings all the time? So this really piqued my interest. And when a faculty spot opened up at Harvard, uh, I took it, left consulting for the side. I still do some consulting. Um, But really wanted to to set my research program on course to to answer these questions. How do we not just go from disease avoidance, but how do we go to health promotion Mm. and using our buildings as the vehicle for that?
1: And before we get into more detail, can you define for everyone what is a healthy building?
3: Yeah, it's a great, great question. So my team released a report we call the nine foundations of a healthy building, we break down decades of science onto all these factors that influence our health, things like ventilation and air quality and thermal conditions, mold and moisture, lighting and views, safety and security, acoustical performance of cost, of course. So all of these things uh, we know matter. And sometimes I think it's easier to define a healthy building by first looking at sick buildings and how we even got here. Right? We've been in the sick building era largely because public health hasn't had a seat at the table in these conversations. I mean, we've we've made decisions for decades really with an engineering lens. And yeah, we need that, of course, in buildings. But we also need the health lens on top of that. And we've been chasing kind of these minimum standards that are great for engineering, you know, fire life safety, okay, but not going above and beyond these kind of acceptable minimums into really, you know, optimal health-optimized environments.
0: It seems like common sense. I mean, it seems... You know there are so many codes. The National Building Codes are a lot. I mean, I will even admit I don't even know half of them because it's the manual is like this. But um, there's not enough in there that's really making sure that from the get go we're thinking ahead. I mean, we've we've had houses actually not too long ago. I think two years ago we were working with a, a family. They loved their home. They saved every dollar they had to get into this home. They bought it. Was already finished and it was renovated, and they moved in, and all of a sudden, they started getting health problems. And the son, I think it was their son, that started getting uh, a skin condition that they'd never had before. Another started getting some sort of an asthma or something else, and they didn't understand, and they ended up opening up, we opened up the walls when we were doing the renovation, and it literally looked like something from Stranger Things. Inside the wall, mold everywhere, it was absolutely a mess. What are some steps that everyday people can be looking at if they're looking to renovate or buy a new home to make sure that they're getting a house that is actually healthy with the aspects that you're talking about.
3: Yeah, I mean, um, the stories like that, right, they really just strike at my core. And I'm sure you've seen this just over and over. I've seen it too. I led the um, investigation for the Consumer Product Safety Commission on the Chinese drywall issue years ago, right? Faulty products put inside these buildings, off-gassing, people reporting all these health complaints. And honestly, people don't believe the occupants at first, right? Oh, they push aside. No, you just get used to it, figure it out. And like you, you start opening up the walls and you say, whoa, there's something happening here that's out of sight that's really causing an impact um, on people. So, you know, I think it's really challenging for consumers uh, when they go into a house, right? So you think about the basics here, right? You can't see behind the wall to know that there's a moisture problem, there's mold you don't know if there's a radon problem, an invisible radioactive gas that comes out of the ground, second leading cause of lung cancer. How do you assess that? In some states, you have to do a test before you transfer over a home. Um, and how do you do basic indoor air quality, you know, assessments? I have a, you know, I'm monitoring carbon dioxide in my office right now, you know. But you're going to walk into a home, and you know, people are going to have these sensors and do it. I think the average person is going to be able to even interpret that. So the, I think it speaks to a, a need to 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 take this, um, you know to get into the code where it just becomes not code minimum, but this is just how it's done better, right? Right off the bat, say this is the new way to do it so we're not chasing these problems or leaving it up to the consumer to, to have to have a $300 device and be checking their own air quality as they go into a place to decide if that's safe or not for their family, uh, which is which is where we're at in, in many cases.
1: Being proactive rather than reactive. It's the same as you know working out. You're going to work out now so that you're, you know, you can live a longer, healthier life. You know, we need to treat our buildings the same way. Can you talk about how, you know, people who aren't renovating or looking for a new house, what are some simple things that they can do to make improvements for their health?
3: Yeah, sure. And I love that you brought up exercising because I, I think a lot about what we know in public health, right? And if we asked everybody, even ourselves, what does it take to lead a healthy lifestyle, right? We're going to say, well, I have to exercise for sure, right? I have to Eat well, no smoking, right? Mm-hmm. And very few people would th- would get to this conversation we're having and say, you know what? I it really matters the, the room, the place I'm in, my house, my school, my office.
0: My house works need- out, just so you know. My house has great <laughs> glutes.
3: <laughs> Your house is in good shape. There are some simple tips. Look, and right now we're in, in the depths of COVID. We can talk about that and how to keep yourself safe, but just general tips that are just good in general, right? We've we've choked off the air supply in our homes, offices and schools. So that's number one, right? We, we've so tightened up our building envelopes that we've stopped letting our buildings breathe and that just created a buildup of indoor pollutants. Indoor pollutants can be three, five, 10 times higher than outdoor air pollution, which I think would surprise most people. Everything from bioeffluents, the stuff that come off us uh, off-gassing from carpets and cleaners. Off-gassing from Drew. Whoa, off g- whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. So all of this, right, it's building up and and uh, that's influencing how we feel and operate in, in indoors. So to me, a simple first step is let's let our homes and buildings breathe a bit, right? Let's let in some of that indoor-outdoor, uh, dilute some of what's happening in the indoor environment uh, because the reality is we've chronically under Mm-hmm. Nearly every space where we spend our time.
0: Your home is just like your body. Like a lot of what we need is what the house needs as well. Um, from what you've you've learned, what are some steps that people can take looking at, at staying COVID safe within their home? Yeah. So, I,
3: and I, maybe I'll just give some background too. So, uh, you know, maybe um, people think, well, why should I listen to this guy? Uh, but, so, I've been doing this work uh, related to COVID and uh, and assessing hazards and controlling hazards in the home and workplace, like we've been talking about. And doing this similarly for COVID, COVID, right? We know how to keep people safe in buildings from any hazard, radiological, chemical, in this case, biological hazard. Um, and I'm, a, I'm a, one of the commissioners for the Lancet COVID-19 Commission working on how to, on the task force, chairing the task force on safe schools, safe work, and safe travel. So we've been thinking about all the controls that have to be put in place, these layered defense controls that apply for schools, airplanes, and even a home. So first we take a step back and look at the science and say, well, how are we exposed? Because then that'll make the controls make sense. So close contact transmission, fomite, which is another word for contaminated surface, probably playing a lesser role, and then airborne transmission. And by airborne, I mean far field transmission, transmission beyond six feet. And this is really important to talk about that airborne transmission for one second, because as we talk, sing, just breathe, we're emitting aerosols of a whole range of different sizes. Well, the sizes that we're most interested in go well beyond that six-foot guidance we've all been given, and they'll stay aloft for hours. In fact, they'll stay aloft indoors until one of two things happens that we control. We clean them out of the air through filtration, or we dilute them out of the air through uh, through ventilation. So that means, or that's how we're exposed. Now the building lines up. Then it becomes really simple, right? So what do you want to do for ventilation at home? If your mechanical system, run your fans a bit better. Bring in more outdoor air if you have natural ventilation, open up your windows, even a couple inches will help. Uh, Improve the level of filtration, higher efficiency filters on recirculated air. If you can't do that, you can always supplement this with something simple like a portable air cleaner with a HEPA filter, which can give you four, five, six air changes per hour of clean air. And a typical home only gets half an air change per hour on average. My office Mm -hmm. right now is giving me 0.3 air changes per hour. So there are some simple tips that we should all be doing. Humidification matters too, but really it's the basics. Open your windows a little bit. You can supplement it with a portable air cleaner. Um, and if you're thinking about having people over, I uh, wouldn't right now, unless you have these strict controls in place, because most of our homes are just not breathing enough and they're not diluting these airborne particles that have the virus in them. In digesting information, I always think, how do I
2: explain this to Gene and Paul? And Jeannie and Paul are my parents living in Iowa. My, grand, my dad is 75, my mom is 74, and they don't know how to use their cell phones. And so when I talk about the practical action steps of what you're talking about, what are three things I can call them today and say, hey, this is how we make your house healthier?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to say without the context of where and when they are. I mean, like if you're in um, uh, like a Detroit you know, area and you want to say where, where the schools were, then lead is the issue in water. So, to generalize it, I mean, these are some of the basics, right? I assume, let's assume that their basics are handled, right? There's no legacy pollutant. Water quality is okay. Um, I think some of these things, especially in the winter, that are really quite important, uh, especially for older people, to uh, a little better ventilation. But if that means that maybe you're bringing in outdoor air pollution, the portable air cleaners with a HEPA filter or better. Um, filters and recirculated air will go a long way to capturing allergens and also actually in some of these chemicals that reside in dust, uh, it'll help with outdoor air pollution. I think that's an easy fix. Two, a a little uh, harder fix, and I'm always hesitant to mention bringing water into a building, but, um, you know, the cold, the dry air indoors really does some, uh, make, create some challenges for our respiratory system. So if you're older, respiratory condition, thinking about now where infectious diseases spread and even just basic influenza. Increasing the humidity up to forty to sixty percent with like portable um, humidifiers can really help your respiratory system. It actually slows down the spread of and transmission of, of viruses on these particles too, and that's really hard. At least where I am, you know, relative humidity is going to be down, you know, in the twenty percent range. So you want it in the forty to sixty percent um, ideally. So that's two right there that I think are are pretty good and some of the basics again around air quality um, specifically. Um, and so I, you know, I think that's some of the basics. I would also think maybe the third thing is as they think about the products in their house, right. Right. Think about the purchasing decisions and around, you know, the next couch, the next carpet, the types of chemicals we put on our body for deodorants and shampoos. We can make these simple changes and look for these products that don't have these hormone disrupting or endocrine disrupting chemicals in them that, you know, it's not something you notice right away, right? Like You'll notice air quality and field. But you won't notice, but it's having an impact on your in, on your body, right? Um, so that's a really important change. That I think all of us should be making, quite honestly, uh, in our future purchasing around our products we're putting yeah. into our homes.
1: And when it comes to schools, obviously that's a very controversial topic. You know, whether to do in-person learning or virtual. Can you talk a bit about what measures we should be taking to to protect families and students and, and teachers and staff?
3: Yeah, um, this has been the hardest question. This is a national emergency when we have schools closed. Um, And I think our our conversation on exposure and risk has gotten narrow in thinking about risk in the classroom. So let me explain that. Uh, And I've been writing since June on this, and I'll tell you about some guidance we've put out. But really, the the costs of kids out of school are devastating. We have virtual dropouts on the order of tens of thousands. New York City, 60,000 students. New York City just went remote. 60,000 students don't even have the technology to be able to log in remotely. UNICEF said kids who are remote are higher risk of abuse, neglect, exploitation, violence. The learning is different. The physical activity is different. The socialization is different. So there are massive consequences and costs to kids out of school. Now, that said, we have to think about it can't be schools as usual anyway. So we released a report in June, my Harvard Healthy Buildings team, a 60-page report on holistic risk reduction strategies in schools. And when you do things like like we've been talking about, better ventilation, portable air cleaners, opening windows, wearing a mask, absolute must, you can really drive down risk and keep both kids and adults safe, right? So against the cost, the extreme cost of kids out of schools, against what we know to how to, on how to keep adults and kids safe, on balance, to me, it says we must get kids back into school. And... Clearly, schools should be a priority. How is it possible that New York City is opening restaurants and bars and schools are mm. closed? See, that is a gross failing.
0: And by the way, I I think it was in Nevada, I noticed they were opening um, bars, clubs, casinos and massage parlors. All the necessities, not schools. I, I mean, I'm curious about when you see the like, kids, kids are kids. Kids aren't going to be thinking, depending on their age, obviously, but they're not going to be thinking about, you know, keeping distance and staying safe enough, uh, as much as we would, but kids are just going to be kids. They like to run around and then touch their noses and mouths and then they come home. So that was my my thought of uh, fear is that kids are just going to do what they do and they're adorable, but they're not as protective. So um, is that as big a concern with what you're laying out or you think that that's manageable with the steps you're talking about?
3: Yeah, I definitely think it's manageable. It's a realistic and, and normal concern. I'm a parent of three kids too. Um, and let me just say, you know, my my gut check on any of these forensic investigations I've done or even this is always... Would my advice be different if my kid was in that school or my wife worked in that school? It's my final gut check. So I'm really cautious here. Um, but when I look at the data, yeah, you know, the, the, the kids, when they're, they, first, they can comply very well with things like masks. Early on, people say, kids will never wear masks. My kids wear them when they don't even have to anymore, right? They're, they're better than adults at this
0: stuff. That's good. There's a lot of inf- misinformation out there. And then there are a lot of people that are using their voices to spread misinformation. So what are other um, sort of fallacies that are out there that, that you've heard of or, or things that people are misinterpreting that you think we should clarify from your research?
3: Yeah, that's really important, Drew. And, and, uh, you know, I agree. A lot of this has been a a communication failure. I'll I'll place a lot of that blame at the feet of our federal national government. I did not take this seriously early on, miscommunicated it, called it a hoax, uh, downplayed the role of mass early on. I mean, I I think of all the lives lost because we didn't put in these simple controls that we know work. And that was a communications failure. Uh, So so maybe I want to start there. But thinking about, um, you know, things people need to pay attention to that maybe there seemed like there was confusion out there. And one is this idea of airborne spread and the six-foot distancing, right? Hey, if I'm beyond six feet, I'm all good. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: We knew airborne spread was happening in January. The first piece I wrote was February 9th in Financial Times calling this out and saying buildings are going to play a role, a key role. I wrote it again in the New York Times in March as as the virus hit widespread in the U.S. and been writing it ever since. CDC, World Health Organization, refused to acknowledge that airborne transmission was happening. All through the spring into the summer, 239 of us wrote a letter to the World Health Organization, 239 scientists who study this, urging them to reconsider that airborne transmission was happening. Again, there were delays. Finally, in October, CDC acknowledged that airborne transmission was happening. They only said it was close contact and fomite transmission. So it took eight months For an official government agency to come out and say what was obvious from the science. I could bore you to death with the science behind how we know that's happening. It's unequivocal. It's happening. I don't think a lot of people got that message. And the message is important thinking about homes and and offices and schools is that if I'm in this enclosed environment that's not breathing and I'm spending any duration of time in here and I'm infectious and you come in, there's going to be a buildup of these infectious aerosols Mm -hmm. unless you're diluting them. right? And so I think a lot of people miss that guidance because the official guidance uh, wasn't, it wasn't announced officially for for many months. Just Mm -hmm. recently that changed. Let's do a practical application
2: of what that looks like on a regular daily basis for you. So from a practical standpoint, how do you shop for groceries? How do you handle your mail? How do you do dining? How do you do workouts?
3: Yeah, so really great questions from a practical standpoint. Um, absolutely, we do um, you know grocery shopping, go to the pharmacy. We're not doing any extraneous trips right now. We go out, really careful, wash your hands, hand sanitizer, mask on, absolutely. Get back to the car, hand sanitizer again, maintain distancing, be comfortable knowing that it's gonna take a bit longer. Uh, in our house, uh, we haven't had guests over. If we do, we're outside and we're distanced and with masks on. Um, being really careful there. Actually, my, but, um, my daughter had a friend over, came in, all the windows went open. I'm measuring the levels in there. I have two portable air cleaners with HEPA filters going. So we're being quite cautious um, uh, and, and for good reason. I mean, if you see the case counts going up, the hospitalizations and deaths will lag after that. We are we, There's really some good breakthroughs that tell us that spring and summer will start to be much better, but there's no way around it. This is going to be a tough winter. Yeah. Uh, these next couple of weeks and months are going to be really quite rough. So if we just get through it, if we, we can get through this, uh, I'm really hopeful about what's coming next. But that's kind of what we're doing on a daily basis around here. We're being really cautious. You know, I have a big family. I haven't seen them or occasionally we'll see them, but stay distant. Same with friends. Haven't been to a restaurant. Um, that's something we used to do all the time. So we have really fully uh, changed behaviors Um what about workouts? America. What about running outside? Running, yeah, outside activities are great. I I, I think kids could play soccer outside, wear a mask. Um, okay. You know, I wrote a piece in uh, April with uh, Mark Lipsitch, an infectious disease epidemiologist at Harvard, and um, and another colleague who runs Harvard's arboretum, and um, uh, and we wrote an article saying parks have to stay open. And if you recall, this is a time when people were like, oh, we got to tape off park benches, and we we're like, wait a second. This is super low risk. Yeah, you don't have the ventilation problem. Keep your distance. Avoid people. It's going to be totally fine. Uh, and and when we need that for our mental
0: health, right? To get out to the
3: parks, yeah. they were people were closing tennis courts and things like this. Super low risk places.
0: I just want to make sure that anybody who, who's a runner that's listening, please don't be like the runner that we had a couple of weeks ago. That heavy panting and spit breathing, right on the sidewalk, right at us, and they didn't de- they didn't step off. They came right at us and right past us within and I'm like, Come on. I mean you didn't have a mask on and you're spitting all over me. That's not fair. So that's not right. Yeah. I pinched him as I went by.
1: It's so hard to navigate the amount of information. I mean, yes, we have the, you know, we're very lucky to have access to all this information, but you know, it could be to our detriment because how do we know where to look? And when you have bodies like CDC, who is the official, you know- Go to. Go to, and they're not putting out the information that scientists like yourself are giving them. Like, where is the breakdown in communication? They're like, why isn't everyone on the same team? I don't get it.
3: (laughs) Yeah, you know, and and some of this got politicized too. And uh, and look, I think it's really challenging for people, right? Look, we're we're all, this is a high anxiety, high stress. Uh, Everyone's dealing with issues, sick family, the kids at home from school, essential workers. Like this is a stressful time. People have lost their jobs. And so I, all day long, 4 a.m. till I go to bed, I am on top of the science. And it's hard for me to stay on top of that science, and so I feel I, I empathize right with people. How do how the heck can you distill what you need to do out of this yeah. unbelievable onslaught of information every day that might even feel like changing science to the average person? Um, so for me, you know, I tap into the the scientists. I actually spend a lot. I I, I connect with them on Twitter. I I find the best people when I want to know about the vaccine that came out. And I see the news. I go find the world's best vaccine experts and see what they're saying about it. And so there's this whole rich communication happening with scientists. The problem is the public can't always tap into that. Mm -hmm. And this again gets to the breakdown in the country. You know, The US CDC should have been hosting daily or weekly briefings that we all get on the same page about the latest science. They were muzzled, they were muzzled. That's the only way to say it. Uh, And this is the world's premier or was the world's premier disease fighting agency. So um, that's a big problem because then who do you trust, right? We had a a president giving false information from the White House early on in this pandemic. Even doctors like uh, Dr. Fauci were doing an excellent job of communicating. Then they got sidelined. The soon-to-be former President Trump brings in someone who's totally unqualified and Dr. Atlas. No qualifications in this field to be the go-to spokesman
0: and coronavirus expert. What would you say are a few sources that that would be great? Something that that the general public can uh, access? Is there a website that you would suggest that they go to?
3: Yeah, I think CDC is coming around. And I think the incoming uh, Biden administration, they announced a top tier expert. You could follow those experts and you're going to learn everything because it's not just their expertise, but there's a whole army of scientists feed into them as well, too, right? So there's a, there's a great, one thing to be really proud of in the pandemic as a, as a country, I think, is to, our investment in the basic sciences is paying off. Rapid vaccines, there is a, every scientist in the world in our country is focusing on this same problem, and these breakthroughs are happening. I know the pandemic feels slow, and it is, but this is a pandemic, and still we're having these rapid breakthroughs, so there's a richness in the scientific community that's trying to push um, this kind of information out. So, you know, I like, I'm not saying people shouldn't trust CDC. Absolutely. I think. And I think what I'd like to see more of is them be out front. Mm-hmm. Trust the Dr. Fauci's of the world who, who are, you know, decades of expertise in this mm-hmm. exact topic.
1: Yeah. And I think another silver lining definitely is the fact that this pandemic has expedited conversations such as this one and um, surrounding the, the health of buildings. Can you talk a bit about you know, the progress that's been made over this short time uh, regarding the conversation around healthy buildings?
3: Yeah, it's been, it's been um, nothing short of amazing because um, I think if, if I look back to even January, right, I, I could have named every, you know, scientist that was focusing on this topic area. We know each other, right? We network. I knew the handful of companies that were early adopters trying to drive healthy building strategies into their portfolios. Um, but this has exploded Right. Fortune 100 companies now have stood up senior executives who have the title of, you know, uh, vice president or senior vice president of healthy buildings. Um, Every commercial real estate company is now rethinking their healthy building strategy. Companies are rethinking their leases in terms of and what else. I know because they ask, what else should we ask for in our lease that maybe we didn't ask for before? Maybe they uh, quickly in basic indoor air quality. Now they're saying, what do I really need to know? Mm. Um, So you see everyone talking about this and it it makes sense to me because who's going to go back into a building right now that is not a healthy building, Mm -hmm. right? The public is weary and rightly so, right? And anxious about it. So you see the numbers, people aren't going to go back to work. They're not going to go to the theater. uh, They don't want to go to a sporting event. No one's going to go back to buildings that aren't healthy. And I think the market and industry realize it, that that they have a problem. And the problem Mm -hmm. was we've been designing our buildings suboptimally yeah. Now we have to think. Well, we really have to step up our game here and give uh, and make these truly healthy buildings.
1: How would the public know if a building they're stepping into is healthy or not? You know, you have like restaurant ratings posted on the window, but just someone walking by, it's not gonna be like, "Oh, this this building's healthy. I'm I'm good. Come on in."
3: Yeah, I think it's going to take something like the restaurant ratings in New York, right? Where you walk by, like who would go into? I don't even know if there's a C rating. I think that just means you're closed. Like a B rating is, I think, not so good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, there just like there were green building rating systems that everyone's kind of familiar with. Maybe you've seen a lead plaque on a building. There are healthy building certifications that are coming along. They, they're not widely adopted yet, but I think it speaks to your point, Linda, that you know, you need a way to signal mm-hmm. to the average person that, hey, there's something good in this building or we went above and beyond or we're meeting some independent criteria. I also think there's going to be a role for like the sensor I showed you behind me for this kind of real-time sensing and reporting, mm-hmm. like a dashboard in the lobby. Hey, indoor air quality levels look good in here. Yeah, uh, We're monitoring it in real time. And I think that's going to be the convergence of kind of the smart building movement mm-hmm. with the healthy building space with kind of the real-time uh, air quality assessments, and then yeah. communicating that to people in the
0: building. I want to talk about the environment a little bit. And obviously, climate change um, is very real. And this is another area where there's a lot of misinformation. We just released a documentary um, called Power Trip about the the battle between fossil fuel and renewable energy and, and how much misinformation is out there. And a lot a lot of it is because people are making a lot of money off of that misinformation so that people don't move to renewable, clean, healthier energy for all of us. Um, so can you talk a little bit about how climate change is actually affecting the health within our, our built environment?
3: Yeah, I mean, this is really important. And um, in our book, you know, we, we have a whole section dedicated to health beyond the four walls of the building, recognizing that buildings are influencing our health even beyond the amount the time we spend in them. And a lot of this is um, through our energy choices, as you well know, um, and so if we think about what's happening, buildings across, you know, all building types consume 40% of global energy. 80% of global energy is fossil fuel combustion. When you combust fossil fuel, you release air pollutants that have an immediate health impact and gases that are changing our climate, right? And these climate forcing gases that and the climate change, is of course, having a downstream effect on our health. So the decisions we're making in terms of energy efficiency uh, in our building is influencing our health through that energy system. And we see and we know and we can quantify these benefits now, which is something different. And so this is some of the research my team has been doing at the uh, School of Public Health at Harvard. We have a tool we call COBE, Co-Benefits of the Built Environment. Um, and not Kobe Bryant, I know you're a basketball fan. So Kobe with the C, right? Uh, Co-Benefits of the Built Environment that lets you quantify these impacts, right? So you have a building you have energy efficient systems you want to put in through your portfolio or what have you that reduces demand on the electrical on the energy grid that means a reduction in air pollutants and we can quantify what that means in terms of health specifically how much did your energy decisions in your buildings or California's um, um, solar panel uh, law in homes how many lives did that save we can quantify that how many missed school days were averted. How many asthma attacks were averted? And we can quantify this and we've done it. And you can project that out. And it gives another way to to add momentum to these, you know, like Local Law 97 in New York City an Aggressive Buildings Energy Conservation Law. And it gives one more layer to add to it. It says, well, this is gonna save energy. Yep, that's good. We know it impacts, it's good for climate and health. We can actually put numbers to that. And then even better, we can use the tool to say, ask what if questions. What if other cities followed what New York did? What if other states followed what California did in terms of their solar uh, uh, residential law? And it becomes a powerful tool to motivate action because everybody, you know, if I said we saved 10,000 kilotons of CO2, most people are not gonna be able to, you know, quickly understand what that means. I can't. But if I said, well, that's that averted 5,000 asthma attacks in Boston where I am. Well, okay,
0: that's a big deal. Yeah, right?
3: We all get that. And I, we hope that becomes a tool to help motivate more of this action.
0: Nowadays, even you know, hotels will have built-in water, uh, clean water stations. So you're refilling your water bottles instead of you're you're getting new plastic bottles. And right there, they have the little number that says um, this one station alone has now diverted, uh, diverted
1: number of yeah you, yeah. you,
0: you know two hundred thousand um, wa- uh, plastic bottles. So that's great, and it's simple, it's easy, it's right in front of you. You feel like you're being a part of great change. I think that Love it. and
1: people thrive off of instant gratification and seeing that number there, you know, yeah. it helps and it's it's positive and it makes you want to do more. Even
0: talking about solar panels, like like what is the change in the power usage? How much are you offsetting? How much of a change are you making in, with the environment? Um, it's it's too daunting to really figure that out. If there were, was a way to quantify with a building with whatever you're doing in your home yeah. to see the difference. And I think the the one thing that a lot of people don't take into consideration like you're saying as well is it's more than just Having a healthy building and clean air; these are things that are actually reducing the cost for uh, healthcare system. It's uh, it's something that's helping your your neighbors in your neighborhood as well. But what what's some other innovation that you are seeing that you think could dramatically change the way we live?
3: Yeah, so that's a great question and I like the tech space and I'll just start with the COVID side of this. First, uh, I I like tech, but I haven't and there's lots of uh, snake oil out there. So I haven't seen anything I really like that's groundbreaking yet in that space. So I'd be really cautious for anybody who's thinking they have the latest and greatest thing that's going to kill COVID and solve everything in your building. Be cautious there. Uh, It's a time for the basics. On the flip side, you know, I'll go back to the, the real-time sensors again. I've been talking about that a bunch. But be, but it's for this reason is, is that it's finally making the invisible visible. There's no way to sense this before. So, you know, it's right to Linda's point, right? If I, get a, if I save some water because I use a water bottle, but I don't know what it's really doing, well, does that motivate change? Maybe not. But if I see that counter going up, all right, I'm contributing. I think the same thing's happening with the ability to see, really, in real time, what's happening in our buildings. It's eye-opening. I'll tell you. Carbon dioxide level in my office right now is 1,500 parts per million. That's too high. We know this from studies, right, that that's associated with infectious disease transmission, lower cognitive function performance. I just behavior changed, open up my window. I don't have that sensor. You know, do I really do anything or modify? It feels okay in here, I think. But I have a way to sense what's going wrong. Where the nice thing where this will move, right, ultimately that will be taken out of my hands. The building will be measuring and learning what's happening in the environment and autonomously say, you know what? Let's bring in a bit more air, something's going on here. We detect something over there, let's put a correction in. So we don't even have to think about it. I wanna be put out of business and health- Every building should be healthy. I don't wanna talk about healthy buildings for the rest of my career. I hope we get past this, right? Uh, That should be the norm and all of these things should just be happening in real time without us thinking about it.
0: And I know there is a lot of automation nowadays that that could actually do exactly what you were just talking about. It just has to be programmed. And I think like a lot of new technology, uh, especially in the home space too, Like solar is a prime example, it wasn't cost effective for people to pay to put solar in to offset to save money. People want to make sure that they're able to save money. They like the idea of doing something good for the planet, but at the end of the day, if they had to pay more money for it, most people are not going to pay to put that in their home. But nowadays, solar is actually, it is cost effective compared to uh, traditional systems and putting into your house. And so now people are seeing a benefit or they can do a long-term lease where they have somebody else who's dealing with it and they get a certain percentage reduced on their monthly bill. So there's a benefit. I think that that idea of some sort of recognition or for lack of better terms, compensation within your home and what you do, something that pays back to you, but also pays back to your environment is a great way to start getting more people to, to take those steps to improve their, their healthy home. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I see-
3: think that's really smart. I mean, you're on it, of course, on, on this topic. And I, I think you're right. Like people want to do good, but if it's going to cost extra, you know, earlier adopters will do that. But most people say, look, I don't have the funds to just go ahead and do this. It's going to cost more. There's no ROI in terms of the energy savings. So it's really about driving down and incentivizing these better products, as you know. And I think too, it, it's including the full accounting of the costs of fossil fuels, right? Which mm-hmm. we're not doing. It's fully subsidized. We don't account for those costs of the asthma attacks or mm-hmm. kids missing school. And so, okay, sure, maybe it's cheaper. It's not cheaper than, than uh, solar at this point, but you know, that gets factored in. Now, if you factored in the externalities, which they're not externalities, they're actual costs to human health, well, then, it's, then it just blows it out of the water yeah. the renewable uh, conversation. So I think it's that more honest accounting we really need to have as a society
0: about true costs of things. Exactly.
1: Hmm. Oh, I was just going to ask earlier, I saw you move uh, a little plant in your office. Does that help at all? Like having, well, having so a Well, so there's a,
3: I'll pull it up here. So yeah, so there's a, mm-hmm. um, it does, but probably not in the way people think. So it's sometimes people think, well, you know, does having a plant in your house remove indoor air pollutants? And while they do remove pollutants, the rates at which they remove them is slower than, much slower than something like ventilation so, mm-hmm. or the emission rate. So for, for you to actually have a benefit of better indoor air quality from plants, you know, my office would have to look like a rainforest. Yeah. Right? And then you have humidity issues. So, um, but there are many benefits to plants and nature, and it's, it's really around the field of biophilic design. You know, biophilia is a book written by uh, Harvard professor E.O. Wilson in 1984, talking about our innate connection to nature, spawned this field of biophilic design. And not just plants, but biomorphic shapes and patterns and thinking about how do we, you know, we've walled ourselves off from nature in a lot of ways in our buildings, right? And so how do you reconnect with that and get some of that benefit back in our indoor environment? Um, so yeah, that's my effort that, uh, I'm not, a, I need you over at my house. That's my effort at
0: biophilic design. <laughs> we got you. No problem. I'll be right over. Right. But
1: even we can do better. I mean, we're sitting here and you know, where we record our podcast and then you're talking about ventilation. I'm like, ah. yeah, it's it's, like I want to open the door, open the windows. Yeah. Like I, I am feeling, you know, the more we're listing these things, I'm more aware of like our own environment. I just mm-hmm. want to go around the house and open all the windows now.
0: Yeah, I know that there's definitely a lot. I mean, even like I've been working in, in the home space for 25 years and there's still, I'm always learning. And I think that that's a great thing for for us is Linda and I never feel, oh, we, we've been doing this, we know this, we're good. You never know enough. And there's always something new. Uh, just as we wrap up here, the one thing I, I'd love to hear from you, you know, again, we talk all the time. A lot of people think that to be happy and healthy at home is, you know, taking care of yourself and, and everything you, but they don't think about a happy, healthy home. It's a healthy home itself. And so- I'd just love to hear for you. You have three kids. How have things changed from when you were a kid in your home, looking at a healthy home, to how it is now, to how you would love to see it for your kids in 30 years in their homes?
3: Yeah, what a great question. And uh, you know how to get me thinking about the kid, my kids here. Um, you know. The things that change, I, I, I like to think we we started to address kind of these legacy pollutants like asbestos and lead. I mean, lead poisoning from lead paint was, you know, it's still an issue in cities in older housing, but it's an issue we're starting to get a handle on, right? So I, I like to think that we've done a better job there. I'll tell you what's replaced that. It's a hit, another hidden hazard. It's the chemicals that are used in the consumer products and our personal care products that slowly interfere with our hormone system and how our hormone system functions. They cause cancer. They interfere um, with normal, with our sex hormones. I mean, these things are insidious and they're in all of us and we we don't know it. They're coming out of our products um, and they're really lightly, lightly, if at all, regulated. So as I think about the past, me growing up, lead was an issue, asbestos still an issue in older homes and buildings. Um, I think about these new chemicals that my kids and your kids and everybody's kids are exposed to. We're, we're all part of this global chemical experiment, really. Um, I think that's something that will get fixed, but it needs to get fixed by the time my kids are older. We're playing this game of chemical whack-a-mole, yeah. where we have a toxic chemical, we swap it out for another one equally toxic. We keep doing that for decades, and I'm really concerned about what that's doing um, to our kids. Let me end on a let me say a positive note though about our, the kids. This generation gets it. Fat, you know, I, my kids are young. They get sustainability. It's in them. They're like, Dad, why don't we have solar panels on the roof? Why do we have a gas car? I mean, these are the questions third graders are asking right wow. now. And so this is just in them, right? This is how, this is how they're they they're getting this. So I think this generation first, they expect a lot of us, and that scares me the most. Thinking, what are my kids going to say about the things we're doing right now? We have to change and get it better. It gives me a lot of hope for the future that this is just who they are. It's all about health. It's all about sustainability. And it's all about equity. So I'm really encouraged by this, uh, this next crop that's coming up.
0: Oh, my gosh. I, I, I love it because you know we're talking with our nieces and nephews, and they, you know, they range from three to, to seven. And it's so funny when we talk about certain things or we're talking about some sort of a, a pollutant or we're talking about a, a, a clean car as opposed to electric car, as opposed to gas. And to them, it's just common sense why would you do it the other way? Why wouldn't you just use an electric car? I don't understand. Why would you Why would you not just have solar panels, just have solar panels? Yeah. And so it's it's just so funny when you see these little beings that seem so smarter than us in so many ways because from living in it over the years, we're trying to justify reasons as to why we do it a different way. But then we start to realize it's just systemic. A lot of this is just, we've just learned it over the years. And that's why we do it.
1: It so doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't way, have though.
0: to be, but now we know. Now we know what what makes for a, a, a healthy home. I was gonna say a sexy home. Now we know <laughs> what it makes for a sexy home. But um, I, I thank you so much for for joining us and, and helping us spread that word of positivity to bring around a happy, healthy home. Thank you. Thank, thank, you. You.
2: thank you for taking the time. This has been, it's, it's, it's
3: fascinating and mind-blowing. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a topic. It's one of these things you start diving into it and we'll see your home's people, right? So you get it. But I think for most people, you know, you're not really thinking too much about it. You spend a third of your life in, in this one box in your house, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, wait a second, what's going on in there that I have to be thinking about? Um, this is influencing my health and we don't, we don't, uh, most, yeah. most of us don't think about it. Yeah. And our kid's health. I got yeah. three kids I got to be responsible for. It's, it's our
2: job. That's the beauty of it. When you become a parent, you're like, oh, it's no longer just me that is the consequences to my ignorance. I now have to bring these three children into the world safely. Yeah,
0: yeah. that'll
3: straighten you up real fast, for sure.
0: I love how I've been around this space, the home space for so long, but there's still so much that you've been opening my eyes up to. And and it, it actually, the moment we're done here, I'm hopping online to continue that research to figure out a few things. But thank you so much for for answering all our questions and inspiring us.
3: Yeah, no, it's, I really, I really appreciate you having me on. And that means a lot to hear that. I think for all of us, that we should all be humble and think, you know, there are things we're doing now that probably aren't good and we're all going to have to keep learning. And that means being adapt and responsive, right? I don't think this healthy building movement is we know everything today to your point, Drew, and we're done. Mm-hmm. We're all going to keep learning, keep doing the research. And then Adapting as we go along. So, we're just continually improving and finding ways to make our indoor environments uh, better. So, thanks so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, it
0: feels like home. I'm already making a mental list of all the things in the house that we have to check on. From So, this is a prime example. This room here, we do not have good airflow. That no. window doesn't open. So, I feel like this is a cesspool of, of toxic old air. air.
1: Like, if I farted right now, it would be over. Drew would be on the floor.
0: I would be. And I would also lock you in here and I would shut the door and you'd have to <laughs> suffer with your own filth. Um, but also you know, we, we already did upgrade all the insulation in this house. We did a great job on the material. So I actually feel really great about that there's no lead. We did all the remediation for asbestos. Um, but and insulation as well, so we we do have good sound dampening. Mm-hmm. We do have lots of natural light, especially in our kitchen. Yeah. I love the conservatory glass, that curved glass to let in a ton of light. Mm-hmm. So that's good. Light is healthy for us. What else? What else? We're looking up. Uh-huh. Mm. Hmm. We we have huh. a wallpaper on the ceiling here that looks like clouds. So that's you know that's good for our yeah. health. It makes us feel airy and outside.
1: Yeah, drop it, mod.
0: Yeah, we have so much so much to consider after this conversation.
1: Yeah, we're going to keep making our
0: lists. Very important. We need to get ourselves organized for the holidays because it's December and I feel like we're a little behind with everything.
1: We're not behind. Our tree is up.
0: Well, we got the tree up almost a month ago.
1: Yeah, a month ago, but we haven't finished decorating yet. I think we have only, what, 10 ornaments on it?
0: Well, we have more than that. We we probably have a few dozen, but the only thing is like it's a nine foot tree and it's pre-lit. Scott Living Tree, by the way, wink, wink. Um, Anyway, but it's, I like it just as it is. I don't like to overdo it with the ornaments.
1: I love to overdo it with the ornaments, but I see what you mean, the minimalism. Mm -hmm. I kind of like seeing just the lights in the tree.
0: I love, you know, you you make fun of me for using this word all the time, but I love a coniferous look. I just love having that furry looking tree, not a lot of distraction with it. (laughs) What?
1: I just like when you say coniferous. It's the only
0: tree (laughs) term I know. It's a, you know, it's a tree that, I don't know. I drives only know you around.
1: Coniferous and deciduous, right?
0: What's deciduous? I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> but for the holidays, so for us it's it's really it's all about getting our decorations up early. I play Christmas instrumental music. Like I started a couple of months ago, and I do think that drives Linda a little nuts.
1: No, I love it, but you keep playing the sleepy kind. But it's like, it's like always it sounds like lullabies.
0: It does all start to sound the same. But that, it mellows me out. I have a busy work day and then I just have that playing. And then also the baking. Like Linda is an amazing baker and cook. But for the holidays, she seems to do more treats, which is absolutely amazing.
1: Yeah, but I don't do any more baking because I found out that is amazing.
0: Listen, I don't like that strategy. I prefer, <laughs> I prefer if you still do your amazing baking and then every now and then I'll just throw in some of my chocolate chip cookies or something All like right. that. Or mom's mm-hmm. mint dessert.
1: We actually made that
0: today. Yes, which was pretty amazing. It feels like Christmas. It's nostalgic for me. It smells
1: like Christmas.
0: I don't think you could survive if we weren't doing like holiday cooking starting in November.
1: No, why, why would you even consider not doing
0: it? Yeah, some people think it's weird, like playing Christmas songs really early and whatnot, but who doesn't like feeling happy? I like feeling happy, and the holidays always makes me feel happy. It reminds me, when I was a kid, you know, we had Jonathan JD and me. We were all little kids at the house. JD loved Christmas because he never really hung out with us because we were the annoying little brothers.
1: You're still the annoying little
0: brothers. Still are. Yeah. But for the Christmas holiday, we all spent time together. Um, and I even remember like caroling to our neighbors, and it's the nerdiest thing in the world, but we absolutely loved it. For what? the holidays for you, a big thing is always sort of crafting and, and and doing little handmade projects. So, what's something exciting for this year?
1: I really want a paper mache.
0: And she likes the theme, by the way. Linda likes to do themes. So what's I the do, theme? But
1: I do, but I don't know. I'm kind of, I feel burnt out.
0: <laughs> I do too. Okay, and if you guys saw before, we posted last year. We did, we went all out decorating our house inside and out, like big time. We had a conveyor belt. It was like a boxes, like teetering boxes of, of gifts that were up the side of the stairs. And it was a conveyor belt. And so when the kids would crank it, it would bring gifts out of the boxes and up the stairs. It was really cool. But all this, I don't know the energy for all this this year. No,
1: we still have a lot of the decorations, so we'll put those up. Yeah. Um
0: But we're not and we're not gonna do it. We did like the like the icing capped house, like the snow drift oh, yeah. on the house and stuff. We're not gonna do I, that this year. Wait, what? Wait, you want us to do that this year? Oh, the lights you on mean? The, on the roof. No, no let's yeah. skip that. Yeah. That was expensive. And it was hard, and I'm not going up the ladder to do that.
1: <laughs> you didn't do that last
0: year. Shh. <laughs> Linda hand-painted all the signs for out front. We wanted our house to look like an old-timey bakery, and so she hand-painted all these signs that we put up at the front of the we'll house. We'll put those up. Yeah, we'll still put those up. Those
1: took forever. Everything always takes 10 times longer. When you do it. When, yeah, that's true. When Linda I do it. Linda <laughs> likes to
0: go slow, and she's like methodical, and I like to just race in there and do it, find efficiencies. But I guess over the holiday, you kind of got to slow down.
1: I guess.
0: That's my theme. You like themes every year. My theme this Christmas should be slow down. Slow, slow jam? Slow jam? Is that like slow jam? Slow jams.
1: Slow, jam. some slow
0: down. Oh, Christmas slow, slow jams. That would be good. Slow jam. I need to slow down and just enjoy some quiet time over the holidays. Over the holidays, I try and like catch up on work stuff that I haven't been able to do at work. What? Really? No. What do do? The, yeah, this is the thing. It, I, I want to. So I want to escape, because this is I'm not filming for a couple of weeks over the holidays, and so I have a whole list of other work things that oh. I want to catch up on, And but I find the thing is, I feel guilty because you should.: You want to have family together and spending time together and baking and cooking and watching movies and all this stuff, which is all great, but I also just want to escape and be in my little hole and do my own thing, but that's not really holiday-ish.: So,
1: so you want to hibernate?
0: So yeah, with your phone? I could be like a little bear, I'll hibernate. That's not a bad thing. I need some downtime. I guess it makes me maybe a bit of Grinchish. If you guys are trying to get us all together and I'm trying to hide away, could you hibernate? Do you think over the holidays you could hibernate and stay away from family?
1: I can hibernate with family. Can I do that? Is that an option? I,
0: I think hibernating it like is what a bear does by themselves. Over the how do you know
1: they hibernate by themselves? Like, like does every bear get his own little cave and?
0: Well, I guess if they're a family, but you're all sleeping, so you're not spending time talking to each other.
1: You're not sleeping the whole time.
0: What are you talking about? Bear, not, bears, when they hibernate, that's, they're, they're in. They're so done.
1: it's one long sleep. They don't wake up f- until they're done hibernating.
0: Yes. Do you not understand? Like they stock up, they eat a ton yeah. of food, they shut them bodies down, and they're done. for. But the-
1: I'm sure they wake up for like a stretch, a walk. <laughs> Get some sunshine. I actually
0: have no idea. So since, Go
1: back into the cave. Ever
0: since I was a kid, because my dad worked up in the mountains, up in the Rocky Mountains, and he told us stories, and he said bears in the late, late um, fall, winter, they hibernate and they don't come out until spring. And he said, that's it. They are, they're sleeping the entire time.
1: I, but my dad has
0: been known to make stories up, and that doesn't fully make sense.
1: I mean, he could be right. I have no idea. I have no idea. Like, I'm, Im- imagining that bears when they hibernate, they... They sleep for a long time for the majority of, uh, you know what? We're just, we're just,
0: uh, anybody and we, we have, have no, there? no idea. Can you guys, you guys comment and let us know are, I, how <laughs> do bears hibernate? Do they actually like sleep this entire time or do they get up to stretch their legs and play with their friends? Uh, and then they go back. Cause all I, I know is they like to, they hoard a bunch of food. They eat a bunch of food. They put on a bunch of weight and then they just kind of like chill.
1: Oh, so it's, you know, me during this pandemic. Pretty
0: much. Well, I hope you guys had fun. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank, thank you. you to Annalie Bell, our researcher and sis.
1: And Brangelino, our producer.
0: Also, our music is by Victoria Shaw and Chad Carlson, Feels Like Home. As well as Courtney, our editor, Hannah and Wes. We have a whole family that are making this podcast happen. Yeah. So thanks to everybody.
1: The little at-home family is getting bigger.
0: Is, and thanks to you, Boo.
1: Thanks to you.
0: What do you think? Shall we take <laughs> off? Should we make something? Let's take bake some off. cookies. What are you laughing at? She thinks I'm using like code talk or something (laughs) sexual. Bye guys.